you have your Bibles, hold your Bibles up this morning. Hold them up high. Very good. If you have your phone, that's good. You got a Bible. So why do you do that? Well, I like to remind everybody that this is what we get our authority from, through the Word and through the Spirit of God. And we've been talking about decisions. And one of the aspects of decisions is who is our authority and decision-making process. We've been doing the parable, or we've been uh, talking about and using as our outline the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And there we find three different kinds of people. We find the wayward son, we find the faithful father, and we find the righteous son or the faithful son. So in that, every one of them are making decisions in this whole process of this parable. Every one of them. Yet each one has a unique position of which they are making decisions. One is making decisions from the authority of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, what brings joy at the present, very short-sighted, but still very driving. And then we have this, the, way, the righteous son who is staying, but he's making decisions not based on relationship, but requirement. Requirements that would bring him to a place that he feels would be satisfactory or an advantage later on in life. And then we have the faithful father who is there making decisions of how to be able to react to these two different sons that are miles apart, yet both of them in their decision-making processes lack lack wisdom and understanding and the father is there to make decisions that will help bring to illumination in their lives about how to make better decisions in their life. So as we read this, I've asked you to read it every day and ask God to show you something particularly different, particularly something that would jump out to you that you can apply to your life. And being faithful, we're going to once again Read it this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 15, the only place in all of scripture that this parable actually is located. Luke is the author of this book and he writes this parable that Jesus says. There was a man who had two sons. The younger, the younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. There squandered his wealth in wild living. Everybody say wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he, has, he, has, he has, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. Everybody saying angry? angry? And he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving. Everybody say slaving. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you, could, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours he was dead. Now he's alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your words. Open our hearts and minds to receive your truth. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Move among the hearts of your people. Stir us, Lord, that we may be challenged, transformed, and used for your glory. We pray this now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said. Again, as we kind of recap some of the things that we've talked about, we talked about authority. Authority, asking the right questions and then making the decisions on the answers to the right questions instead of asking the inappropriate questions or the wrong questions and making improper decisions. Even though we have right answers, we've answered the wrong question. And the wrong questions usually come when we disobey the authority source in which we make decisions from. As Christians, our authority comes from God, comes through his word, through his son, and in the spirit. Then we talked about process, how we process these decisions. Decisions involve emotion. And some of us lose our emotional connection with God because A, we forsake together the assemblies of the saints. In other words, we don't come to church. B, we don't read his word. C, we don't talk to him at all. We don't pray. And yet we call ourselves people of faith. We call ourselves Christians. Yet there is no interaction with God himself. And thus our authority, even though mentally is in place, but our authority, our authority actually of how we live is fractured at best, skewed, and somewhat separated from God, sometimes miles apart from where God wants us. So we talked about the process of being emotionally connected with God because all decisions are vain, are strained through an emotional context and we need to emotionally be connected with God. Today I want to talk about the process of faith, fairness, and uh, favor. Faith, fairness, and favor. You see, faith leads us to a place that sometimes we get confused with how we're to approach situations and circumstances because in our world, we are very competitive and we're fair-minded. In other words, fair seems to rule the day instead of favor. And favor is what is faith-based and fairness is usually worldly-based. Let me, let me explain that. 
When we need something, when we want something, we automatically seems like going to a comparison mode where we say, well, Johnny got to do this. It's fair, only fair, that I should be able to do this. And which that sounds very good in our world because we've been trained to think that way. In actuality, the way God thinks is not really the way to look at it. It's really defeating and self-destructive way of looking at things. When we look at things and we start talking about fairness, it's usually when we're comparing ourselves with a standard that is subpar, usually that standard is the world. It's what other people are doing. But favor, favor is something that talks about more of a relational aspect instead of a competitive aspect. Uh, we have com competition all the time and competition helps us. But competition cannot define us by who we are. That takes favor. And favor is by understanding who we are and whose we are. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of children in my life that I've raised, okay? And thank God, most of them turned out really well. I say most of them. I think all of them turned out pretty good. I think some of them make decisions that I'm not very pleased with. And some of them make decisions that I think will lead them to a place that is gonna cause them problems down the road because they're very short-sighted in their decision-making process. And thus, it tends, when you're short-sighted in your decision-making process, it tends to lean toward a lust or a worldly way of looking at things instead of a godly, eternal way of looking at things. And so this makes us and sets us up for a path that really leads us apart from God instead of a path that brings us closer to God. Uh, when I was in college, I played golf. I was on the golf team. Now, I wasn't a great golfer, but when you play golf, you're not really uh, playing against someone, you're playing against the game itself. In other words, <clears throat> what I'm trying to do, doesn't matter who I'm with, I'm trying to shoot the lowest score in golf that I can. It doesn't matter if I'm playing with Tiger Woods or Ted Olaker. Ted Olaker used to be a, a Assembly of God pastor in South Carolina. We played golf every Monday, Monday morning together, and he couldn't hit a ball out of a wet paper bag. But anyway, it didn't matter who I was playing against. My objective was still the game itself. And I would press toward that mark. I would lean in toward that mark not comparing myself with who I played with, even though there will be a comparison, but not comparing my product of how well I played to him, but to the game itself that was presented. Bowling is another way, uh, a game. Uh, all these competitions that we have in the Olympics, even though there's competition, you're running or you're playing to achieve the best you have in your potential. When I was in school, and I don't know why they got rid of it, but when I was going in grade school, I went to school and got report cards every nine weeks. Do we still do report cards, by the way? Yeah, we do, don't we? Okay. But there used to be a column that was my favorite column. In that column, you would get, you'd have your name and you would have your subject and you would have the teacher that taught each one of these subjects and you would have a grade. And then on the other side of that, you would have this column called effort. Anybody remember that? You'd have a satisfactory, non-satisfactory, in for needs improvement, and I improved. Anybody remember those? Okay, Jack probably does. Donna, you may remember that. And she's a school teacher. And, and Amy, you probably know that as well. And Steve, uh, Janet may remember that. And some of, some of us. But anyway, that was my favorite column. 
Because you know why? Because that dictated how I applied myself to the task instead of evaluating myself compared to everybody else and what was going on. There were some people that just had a natural ability to do math. Matter of fact, I think some people came out of the womb and already had the odds figured of what they were going to do vocationally because they were so good at mathematics. I mean, just absolutely can just spout off stuff. Was shown a formula in algebra and they just got it and started working out things. And it took me forever to learn a greater than or a less than sign. So you know what I'm talking about. And then this thing called English. Oh my gosh. English is horrible. English has so many rules that are so interpretive and seem to be isolated with how you interpret it. It's ridiculous. Now, there are some good writers. I know probably English people in here. My wife is tremendous at English and stuff. But you know, very rarely do I give my paper to my wife to proofread. (laughs) Do you know why? Because when she gets through with it, it looks like that somebody has just bathed it in a bloodbath. There's so much red on it that it doesn't even sound like me anymore because she's corrected it and made it sound right. But you know, English is not my strong suit. It just ain't. But for her, it comes very easily and naturally. Uh, uh, Austin does it very well. He writes very well. Just it flows. Uh, Isaac writes very well. And, 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 And I can't write my name most of the time in the right order. Seriously, I'll fill out an application and I'll put my last name in the first name block and I'll put my first name in the last name block. You know, that's just attention to detail and reading. But the thing about it is, you know, that report card had a place that it could evaluate how I applied myself, not compared to everybody else, but my ability, what I had to offer and what I could do. But so many times, We want to hang out in the fair thing because the fair thing lets us seem like get by with stuff or it lets us justify our position when really we have potential but we don't want to try. This fair thing is always deceptive. It sucks us in on the good side of it and it sucks us in on the bad side of it as well. When you do something for one child that you don't do on the other, for the other child, usually you have exactly the response that we see from the faithful son who called. And what did he say? Now he said, he told the father, and he said, look, I've been faithful to you. I've slaved like a dog for you all these many years. I've been faithful and stuff. He comes back and you offer him a fatty calf. You didn't give me a goat to celebrate. Guess what he said? He said, that ain't fair. It kind of looks like this. I don't care who you are as a child, when you say that, this is the way you look. This is so unfair. And you frown and stuff, it's so unfair. It's so unfair, it's so unfair. You know why? Because when you talk about being unfair like that, it's called whining. And it has a look and a sound to it that's unmistakable. Listen, let me tell you something. You don't want fair. What you want is favor. That's what you want. The difference between fair and favor, fair is measurable and comparable, and sometimes the measurable and comparable doesn't equate to what your desire is for what you want to be. It's short-term, it's short-visioned, and it doesn't have an eternal value to it at all. When we seek for fair, we seek for what everybody else is doing, whether good or bad, no matter where we line up on that square. And I'm here to tell you That's the wrong way to look at it. 
It's wrong if you're the wayward son, and it's wrong if you're the righteous, faithful son that's left behind. Comes to find out this faithful son that's been doing all this kind of stuff, he's been doing it for personal gain. He's been doing for self-satisfaction of what he's going to get out of the thing. He wasn't doing it for relationship. He was doing it for stature, for status, for well-being. Not well-being for the father or for the house of being understanding of being a son. He was doing it for personal advancement, personal gain. Usually when we talk about fairness, we want to equate fairness with our investment of what we have in and what everybody else has in as well. Let me give you a story. Jesus told it like this. There was, a, there was a vineyard keeper and the vineyard owner hired some people at the beginning of the day and he made a deal with them. He said, you come work a day for me, I'll pay you this much wage. And they agreed. And went on about midday, there were some other workers that came up and he made an agreement with them and they began to work. Even up to the hour before they closed business, there were people coming to work and then they got in line to be paid. <clears throat> and when they got in line to be paid, the people that he agreed with at the beginning of the day, he paid them their wage and then the others at lunch and then the others even an hour before they closed and they got the same wage. Guess what happened? Those at the beginning started doing that. That's not fair. That's not fair. And the reason they were saying it wasn't fair was because they were comparing their effort to the situation and making their own decision and judgment of what was right and good instead of the master, instead of the one who was doing it. But the master had to come back and tell them, did I not pay you what, I agree, what we agreed upon at the beginning of the day? Well, yes, you did. Then why in the world are you upset? Because our agreement and our relationship was based on this and I fulfilled every penny of it. Why do you begrudge these other people that's coming in that I made an agreement, I freely chose to make this agreement and I dishonored my agreement with them? Why are you so upset with that? And the reason is because they wanted what was fair instead of operating in favor. Their favor was they had a job at the beginning of the day. The others had favor when they came in to make provision, but it was up to the goodness of the master. It was up to the goodness of the owner to give them that favor. But squabbles come about is when we start understanding competition and a, regula a regulatory bank of evaluating our staff worth instead of understanding the relationship that really should exist between the father and the son. See, here's a note that you need to understand. <clears throat> The wayward son was a son when he was at home and everything was okay. He was a son when he asked for his inheritance, which by the way, we'll talk a little bit about next week, which is no-no in itself. He was a son when he gathered all these things together and he was a son when he left. He was a son when he was in sin. He was a son when he came to himself and he was a son when he got back and asked for forgiveness. You see, he was always a son. What changed was his relationship and the favor that God or the faithful father could extend to him because of his faithfulness. The righteous son stayed. He stayed, but he slaved in his own words. He obeyed all the orders, not because of the relationship, but because he thought it was the right thing to do. And obviously he did it begrudgingly. 
even to the point that when favor was offered to the wayward son, his own brother, he could not celebrate because he was so wrapped up in this fairness issue, he couldn't take the blinds off his eyes, the blinders off his eyes, and celebrate that the son that was separated, the son, his own brother that was gone, that was same as dead, was now back, safe and sound, and under the security of the father and of the household. He could not celebrate because he was so concerned about the fairness of what he invested and what he invested. And he missed out on the favor of this father. Now here's an issue. You say, well gosh, I kind of see his point. Yeah, you would. I do too. You know why? Because we're human. And we have those thoughts that run through our head. Doesn't make it right. Again, who's the authority in your life? God's ways or your way? Which one? Because God's way says, no, that's not right. Because if you got what was fair, you really don't want it. If you got what was fair, you'd be condemned to hell already and there would be no hope for you. I don't care if you kept every rule there ever was. There was another parable that, that, or another story that was in scripture too about Jesus and the righteous man. You remember him, the young, rich young ruler that came to him and he said, Father, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Now, he thought he already had it made. He thought he was already in. He just wanted to say, he wanted Jesus to tell him, you're good, man. You're the dude. All right, you kept all these things. And he said, Jesus says, well, you gotta keep the commands. You gotta love the Lord of God with all your heart and love your neighbor and this, that, and the other. Went down to all the law. And he says, those I have kept from my youth up. And he said, good, sell all that you have and come follow me. Crushed him. Crushed him. Why? Because he didn't think that was fair. He didn't think it was fair. He kept all the rules. He did everything that's right. And now you're going to take everything from him? Why? Because he's in it for him instead of the relationship of what the relationship brings. And the relationship brings wealth and riches like you wouldn't understand because it's not valued like we value in money and mandatory tangible things. It's in the heart, it's in the joy, it's in the peace, it's in the love, it's in the relationships that we're garner along the way. These are his blessings. How many times do we get confused when we're trying to be fair and we need to drop the fairness and understand we need to give favor? We need to give favor. Now, you say, does fairness have any place in our life? Well, sure does, sure does. I think that when we back up fairness with some of the things like accusations that's been to us and stuff uh, given to us, we need to kind of rebut those. And, you know, we, we say that's really not uh, fair, not being fair about what we do or this, that, and the other, but what we're being accused of, it's not really fair. What Jesus endured going to the cross wasn't really fair. It was, it, fair applies in, in to some aspects, but it should not be the ruling course of how we make decisions and how we live our lives as people of faith. I don't want fairness in my life. I want favor. I want favor from God, and I want favor from you. I don't want you to be fair with me. I want you to show me favor. And you don't want fairness from me either. You want me to show favor, don't you? I do. Why? Why do we do that? It's because I want to know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm loved and I'm secure and that I'm valued for who I am in my effort and not my comparison. 
You understand what I'm saying? This is fairness. This is grace. This is favor. This is heavenly. This is eternal. This is where I need to make my decisions in the vein of this, not in the vein of that. I find often that if I make decisions that are, that are authored in fear or in fairness, it leads me to failure. But when I author my decisions in faith, in favor, by grace, it leads me to God's love, his acceptance, his joy, his peace, his spirit. So the question is this morning, how are you operating? Oh, you can keep all the rules. You can be just like the faithful son. You can do all that kind of stuff and you can press and lean in toward fair. But it's not what God is seeking. God is not seeking rule keepers. He's seeking relationship keepers. He wants relationship with you. He wants you restored back to him. He wants you to be redeemed. He wants you to have value because you are valued. And he's standing at the door of your heart knocking, wanting you to let him in. Wanting you to show him favor by accepting his favor. You see... In the big scheme of things, we're only here just a vapor of time. This life is very short. And the longer I live, the shorter it becomes. A good friend with, of mine is with us this morning and his wife, Jack and Donna. Now, Jack's time is a whole lot shorter than mine. And I remind him of that every day that we meet. <laughs> just kidding but it's just a vapor. And in this vapor of time, we make the most important decisions that affect not only the temporal part, this temporary time, but all eternity. We make a decision whether we receive the favor of God by letting His Spirit redeem us and bring us back from the pig pen and being restored and making us who we are and whose we are and that be a reality in life or deciding to stay there. You see, I don't believe that the guy that got in the pig pen, I don't think that was what that condemned him. I think the decision to stay there is what condemned him. We all find ourselves in the pig pen now and then. Have you ever been to pig pen? I have literally, but symbolically I have been too. Spiritually, I have been too. There have been days, even my days of righteous walking with God, there have been days that have been bad for me. There have been days that I found myself not only in the pig pen, I was in the mud, rooting and trying to do all kinds of stuff that was not good for me, was very unfair, unfavorable, everything, everything was applied. But I serve a father who looks beyond my faults and he sees my need. I look at a father 
who is watching and waiting for me, that is ready to redeem me at a single gesture of wanting his favor because I'm so unworthy. I'm still covered in mud. I'm still covered in pig husk. I'm still doing everything. But God redeems me if I would just be faithful to look at him and say, Lord, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I am undone standing before a holy God. And I don't want what's fair. I need your favor, oh God. Cleanse me. Prove me. Test me. Know my heart. And let repentance be thoroughly engulfed in my soul. And may I know the peace and presence of favor in the heavenly realms here on earth. Here on earth. As it is in heaven. Isn't that the prayer that we pray? Isn't that what Jesus taught us to pray? So the question is, how are we embracing this? Are we looking for fairness in our life and constantly evaluating, comparing ourselves with each other? And it's exhausting because everybody's different. Everybody's different. But when I walk in favor, there's only one person I have to look to, and that's the high calling of the mark of Jesus Christ. When I look at him and I want favor for him, I don't have to compare myself with everybody else. What I have to do is seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto me. All these things. When I get out of the comparison game and the favor game and I start looking at the author and the finisher of my faith, the authority of who decisions rest upon me then I start seeing the glory of God revealed in me. So the question is, when are you going to stop looking at everybody else to justify what you're doing and you start looking for the favor of God by submitting and surrendering to Him and His will? When? When? There's no time like the present. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. The moment is always there. And if you seize it, it becomes reality. If you put it off, procrastinate, and push it down the road, oftentimes it eludes us. What's your decision? And your decision needs to be right where you are. It doesn't have to be coming up here and playing on the altar. That's good. That's really good. But a decision needs to be resolute in your own heart and mind, not looking left or right, but looking to the Father. The Father. That's who you should be running to, the Father. Who are you running to today? Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you, Lord, for our time together. We thank you for your spirit that moves and challenges our heart. Help us, Lord, to get out of this favor game. I mean, out of this, this comparison game where we're wanting fair. But, Lord, that we realize that we're blessed. Because sometimes in the midst of blessing, we fail to see you. We fail to see by comparison how much favor we really have. Help us, Lord, to receive that. Help us to live that. Help us to seek that favor as we love you and we love others and we serve. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and everyone said, amen. You glad you came to church today? 
I'm glad you did, whether you did or not. It helps me. You've encouraged my spirit, my soul. And I hope that you do each other as well. Again, decisions are based on authority, based on the habits in which we develop. Faithful service leads us to faithful living, which leads us to favor the Father. And through that, we find victory. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you'll find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home, and we hope you enjoy your Friendship North experience.